What is going on, guys? It is Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. Coming at you on the 2nd of February, Super Bowl Sunday. Why is the Super Bowl on Sunday? I mean, it, it should be on Saturday. Uh, you know, I'm going to be hungover at work tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Um, either way, uh, you know, great guest for you guys today. One of my favorite guys to talk to. The great thing about doing this podcast is being able to interact with just some of the smartest guys that that I could possibly talk college basketball hoops with. And Brian Roff is is one of those guys. I mean, the amount of basketball he watches is incredible. Um, he has an incredible podcast with Connor Hope, uh, the Bustin' Brackets podcast. One of my uh, one of my regular listens when I'm walking Turk around the neighborhood. And you know, today I, I had the opportunity to uh, to get you know 35, 40 minutes with him, and uh, we talked about East Coast, West Coast, San Diego State. Um, coaches that we trust in March, uh, coaches we don't trust in March. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Jim Beheim and specifically how great of a job that he's done this year, given uh, the limitations of his roster. Um, we talked about how many teams we think we're going to get uh, out of the ACC into the NCAA tournament. So, um, just you know, we touched on everything. You know, Brian is a, is a has a plethora of knowledge regarding college basketball teams across the country. So. Uh, very fortunate to uh, to get the time this morning, and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy the show. Uh, just a few uh, housekeeping items. <clears throat> Don't forget, like, rate, review, subscribe, share. Um, you know, do as much as you can to get the word out uh, about this podcast. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys really enjoy, and, uh, you know, I hope you guys tell, you know, your friends ab- about this podcast, and, and we start to grow these numbers. We've kind of plateaued a little bit uh, this season, so, you know, looking to grow. And uh, go, as always, accbasketballreport.com. You guys can get my picks against the spread, uh, over under, which I'm terrible at. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, trust my over under picks, but um, <clears throat> as well as straight up. And uh, done pretty well uh, working with uh, a new company called Tally Site, where I'm kind of part of their their beta testing. Um, they uh, basically it's a platform for guys like me that are, are still small and you know are looking to get a little bit uh looking to get the word out on the product uh, i know that jonathan warner is also taking part in uh in that beta testing so it's a good time it, it's just another little wrinkle and uh that's also linked to the site uh, accbasketballreport.com give me a follow on twitter at accbr1 and uh you know Leave some comments on Apple Podcasts. Just uh, let us know how we're doing. Um, if you like the show, if you enjoy the show, if you have a suggestion for any guests in the future, which, by the way, I have a huge guest uh, coming uh, next week, I think. Uh, yet to be completely confirmed, but uh, he's a uh, he's a guy that you're going to know in, in an interview, hopefully, that, uh, that you're going to want to hear. So not 100% confirmed. He did say this morning that he would be available, and I just need to get and get with him later in the week and, and firm it up. So, uh, you know, to give you guys a little hint, he's an ACC basketball coach. So, uh, something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, until then, I hope you guys enjoy this show with uh, me and Brian Roth of Bustin' Brackets. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, a Kogi. Brian, how's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How's... Uh, you uh, getting ready for Super Bowl this evening, or are you uh, not an NFL guy? Oh no, we're we're getting ready. We're um, we had some company in this weekend, uh, and then we're kind of 
transitioning this afternoon and recleaning the house, and uh, we got people coming over tonight. Nice. You got a prediction for the for the big game? Um, I have no idea. I think it'll be close. <laughs> yeah, I was looking I at the lines just a little while ago. Kansas City's a point and a half favorite. Uh, if I uh, yeah, I'll, if I I'll probably end up taking the Niners just because uh, when I think it's close, I'll just take whoever gets points. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. So. Get into what has been uh, already uh, an interesting uh, weekend as far as college basketball goes. Um, we'll get into ACC here in just a little bit, but uh, you know, yesterday all three of the, I would say the three top teams in the Big East all lose: Butler, Villanova, Seton Hall. Um, I, I had Seton Hall as kind of you know an outside shot at a number one seed. Is that still a possibility with with the Pirates, or uh, you know what's going on in the Big East right now? It's still a possibility. They would need, you know, Gonzaga or San Diego State to lose maybe one or two times. Um, and, you know, if, if they went out and maybe lose only one more game of Big East play, you're going to end up with a 16-2 and two mm-hmm. Big East champ. And any any team that does that, um, they have to, you know, have to beat Villanova twice coming down the stretch here. The resume is going to be enough for them to be a one seed. Um I, I would be interesting to see if that's the case if they do end up going like sixteen and two in conference play, and there's also a one loss Gonzaga, and there's also an undefeated San Diego State. Then they, they may not, um, but they would certainly put themselves in a really good position to be. What's uh, what, what's going on with Butler? Uh, you know they've kind of they, they climbed up to a top five team. They were one of the more surprising teams in the country, probably the surprising, the most surprising team in the country, and they've kind of fallen off a little bit. What uh, what are you seeing when they take the court? It's a bit of a regression to the mean, yep. I think, for Butler. I mean, they're still better than we thought they were. Mm-hmm. Coming into the season, they're sixth, eighth in the Big East, and they're, they're clearly better than that. Um, but I don't think they're the top five team that they were a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they got in there because their defense was incredible. Uh, they were playing at a not-quite-Virginia level, but they were up there top five in the country. And their offense with their shooters was good enough, especially with Kamar Baldwin being able to to be a guy who could take over late in games himself. Their defense has dropped off a bit, uh, and when you kind of have a, a thin margin for error, having any sort of drop-off is going to hurt you significantly. Um, so that's been the biggest thing for me um, in terms of why they've been getting inconsistent offense from their supporting cast as well. Uh, but the defense has gone from you know great to just really good, and that drop-off can hurt you when you're playing against really good Big East competition on a more consistent basis. Um, going out to the Pac-12, uh, one of the more interesting results from yesterday, I thought, was uh, a Stanford team who had lost three in a row, um, hosted Oregon, and, and actually knocks off the Ducks. Oregon, to me, is an interesting team. I think you know their upside is national championship contender, but... Also, you know, all five losses have come away um, from Eugene, and you know Stanford hadn't been playing well, and the Ducks kind of lose this one. Um, I, I, their their floor seems to be a lot lower than I initially anticipated. I think, but um, I, I just I don't know what to expect uh, come tournament time. What do you What do you think about Oregon, and what do you think about Stanford? Actually, well, Stanford really needed this win. Uh, the resume was really iffy. Uh, before their three-game losing streak. And um, that kind of put them um, in a precarious situation where they needed a quad one win because Oregon was the first quad one win that they had. Mm-hmm. So now they have that, and the resume looks a little stronger. I think they can feel more confident about where they sit. 
Oregon. Uh, I think people had gotten fooled over the past couple of weeks that they were still um, maintaining a high level of play. I personally am a big fan of this Oregon team. Uh, I love Peyton Pritchard and the way he takes over late in games. Yep. I think they're clicking. They are the best team in the country that could win the national championship. The problem is over the past maybe three or four weeks, they haven't been clicking. They, they found a way to win games they shouldn't win, uh, largely because of, of what Pritchard has done down the stretch. Uh, it was a three-point game in overtime against Washington, one in overtime with USC. There were a couple of one-possession games that uh, were against lesser opponents that really shouldn't have been that close. They were just not playing uh, at a great level and then had a national player of the year contender bail them out at the end. Mm-hmm. At some point, that was going to come back to bite them, and I think maybe it needed to uh, for them to kind of wake up. Because when you're winning, it can mask some of the um, negative attributes about your team and just some of the inconsistencies. So I'm hoping because I do have so much confidence in Oregon's potential that this will serve as a wake-up call for them. But it, it honestly is more just kind of consistent with the way they've been playing over the past three or four weeks. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been kind of waiting for Anthony Mathis to kind of snap out of it a little bit. He was, you know, a gold mine early in the season, and the last few weeks he's kind of tailed off a little bit. And, you know, I think for them to realize their potential, Mathis has to be just – not, not, not as he was at the beginning of the season per se, but just more consistent and, and give them that threat from the wing. Yeah, it's, you know what Pritch is going to give you on any given night, mm-hmm. uh, and they have plenty of other pieces you can contribute a lot as well. Uh, and it doesn't have, have to necessarily be the same guy every night, but they have to get consistent contributions uh, from a second option, a third option. It helps if you can identify who those guys are. Oregon's sort of been doing it by rotation, which again, they have enough depth and quality talent that they're able to do that but the guys haven't been stepping up and that sort of led to this mini sort of downturn in play for them coming back to the east coast the atlantic 10 has always been one of my one of my favorite uh, conferences to fall outside of the power six uh dayton is you know 20 and 2 9 and 0 in the conference at this point rhode island i think is a very good team vcu is a very good team you know this this particular conference probably has you know six teams that have a case to make the tournament. Um, I said early in the week I thought it would probably be three, those three being Dayton, uh, Rhode Island, and VCU. Um, is three the number for the A-10, or do you think it's a little bit deeper than that? I think it's three, and those three are mine as well. Uh, Dayton, obviously, is going to get in, probably be a two or a three seed. Uh, I think has, has real Final Four potential with their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, the VCU is an interesting case for me. Because before the season, I, I was extremely high on them. They returned pretty much all of their key players from last year. Had a, an elite defense. They just improved a little bit on offense. They were going to be a team that gave people a lot of problems. And early on in the season, they looked like that team. Uh, the past, like kind of not necessarily like Oregon, but the past maybe month or two, uh, that offense has been extremely sporadic. Their defense hasn't been good enough to carry them. Um, we kind of they had their latest showcase game uh, on Friday against Rhode Island and just got smacked by the Rams. Yeah. Um, I think was alarming because it put them from kind of for sure the right side of the bubble to uh, certainly in a much more iffy status. Uh, I, I do think that they have what it takes to make up the ground down the stretch and get in. Uh, it helps that they don't have to play Rhode Island anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhode, Island, <laughs> Rhode Island beat VCU seven of the last eight times they've played. And so I guess even when VCU had their, their great run last year, Rhode Island still had their number. So there, there might be something there. But 
I, I think VCU has what it takes to, with their experience in defense to do enough to get in down the stretch. And I think Rhode Island, uh, that VCU game is a great example of the way they've been really surging lately. And Fats Russell has really emerged as the guy we thought he was going to be last year, um, probably the second-best player in the A-10 now behind Obi Toppin. Uh, there are a lot of other teams, uh, as you mentioned, in the in the A-10 that have a chance. St. Louis, Duquesne um, immediately come to mind. I just don't know if – I don't think they have the talent level mm-hmm. to compete with with the other three. Um, and I think Rhode Island and VCU kind of get in as, as sort of that 10, 11, maybe, maybe 12 seed. Yeah, I also um, – I've, I've been a fan of, of Richmond this year as well. Chris Mooney is kind of winning um, – in spite of a fan base that clearly doesn't really want him there anymore, and uh, you know he's he's been able to uh, to get that Richmond team kind of off the ground, and they're actually having one of the more surprising seasons for me this year. Absolutely, and um, you know it's I'm still kind of surprised that he was able to keep the job because of kind of the downturn that Richmond has gone through the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their their resurgence this year has been really fun to watch. Uh, I just don't know if they have the talent level to compete uh, with the Rhode Island and VCU and sort of differentiate themselves from the other mid-major bubble teams. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to dance, but I think that uh, you know this A10 conference tournament. I think is going to be is going to be a lot of fun to watch when that starts oh, to roll around. It, it's going to be a lot of fun in Brooklyn, and if, if Dayton were to lose early on, uh, all hell could break loose. Yeah, um, moving into the Atlantic Coast Conference. Currently ranked as the sixth uh, rated conference uh, by the Ken Palm metric, which is kind of unheard of, um, usually in one or two, depending on how good the Big 12 is. Um, yesterday, Syracuse, NC State, Virginia Tech all lose at home. Um, the three-bid ACC is looking like it's a possibility. Um what uh, NC State also losing at home yesterday as well. So, what are your thoughts on the ACC overall, and what are you thinking is going to happen on Selection Sunday? Uh, I think they get four teams in. Um, the ACC is in a real, uh, I want to say, rebuilding year, um, but they're in a bit of a rebuilding year, and it's been every team in the conference. Really, you look at Virginia; you're not going to replace guys like Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter overnight. Duke has become so reliant on one and done that they kind of go as the freshman class is mm-hmm. because this year's class isn't as good. Duke's not as good. Still really good, but not as good. Florida State kind of caught this on the right part of the cycle for them um, where they're not as good as they were last year, but they still have a, a team that's talented, depth, experience. And so you're seeing them kind of emerge as essentially the best team in the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Syracuse didn't replace their trio from the year before. Um, Virginia Tech obviously lost everything. They're playing much better than a lot of people thought because they picked to finish last. Um, but Miami hasn't been able to, to, to regroup. Clemson hasn't been able to regroup from the, the group that they lost uh, last year two years ago. Everybody's sort of in this reset, start a new mode, and that includes uh, North Carolina, who lost their top six scores from last year and haven't done anything to replace them. Um, so... The ACC is in a tough. They'll be back next year, but Duke, Louisville, and Florida State have clearly put themselves ahead as the top three. And then all of those bubble teams that's in, that's in there fighting for the fourth seed uh, keep shooting themselves in the foot. Because of that, and because, Florida, uh, because Virginia got a win over Florida State, which could carry them, their resume, 
Um, I would put Virginia as a fourth team in. I, I think the selection committee is going to have a hard time leaving out the reigning national champ if they're in that bubble conversation. And I think Virginia's defense is certainly good enough to keep them in there despite the offensive struggles that they've had. Um, so I would look at them getting a bid, maybe a first four bid. Um, but it's, it's just a down year. This is just a down year. Yeah, if you would have told me, you know, back in, you know, September, October, that Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Boston College are all going to be higher up in the standings than Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina, I, that, that's a bet I would have taken all day long. Um, and, okay. and it's, it's been incredible. I mean, you know, everybody was kind of at, at 10 and 10, um, you, you know, you mentioned North Carolina and kind of how, what they've been going through and what they've lost and how they tried to replace it. Um, the grad transfers haven't really panned out. Um, Justin Pierce has had, I guess, moments, but Keeling has provided almost nothing all season. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're pinning their hopes on Cole Anthony coming back. And, you know, he finally does yesterday. He scores 24 points and you still lose at home to a Boston College team who is somehow getting it done at 11 and 11 and 5 and 6 in the conference. And uh, I think it's, it's probably time for North Carolina fans just to realize that it, it might not be there this year, but they're going to be back next year because they have probably the best recruiting class in the nation coming in. Yeah, and uh, I know people kind of forgot once Clinton was gone, oh, he'll come back and he'll be able to fix everything because they'll have their, their lead guy score back. Well, they weren't that good when he was there to begin with. Well, right, that's, that's the thing. It was it was very obvious during even in November uh, that he's a very good player, but there were a lot of problems with the UNC that went far beyond him and he sort of kept them from completely falling apart in November. Uh, you go back to the first couple games they played against another Dame team that um, isn't as good as some are hoping they would be. Uh, that game was down in the final minute, and I think they needed 34 or 35 points from him uh, to win that game in a, in a close game. And then at, at home, they got really tested by both Gardner-Webb and Elon. Uh, I think trailed Elon in the second half, and Gardner-Webb was close. Uh, but just Games you don't expect to be close, we're all close. And then, of course, we go to Atlantis, get handled by Michigan, mm-hmm. come back home, get handled by Ohio State. There were there should have been a lot more red flags with this team than, than there were, and those obviously came to light when Anthony was out. And now that he's back, he, he makes them better, but he doesn't make them good. Right? They're still not very athletic. He's still the only guy who can really create his own shot. They're not shooting the ball well at all, and their lack of athleticism and lateral quickness has made them a average to below average defensive team. There are too many holes on this team for one guy mm-hmm. to kind of take over and mask it all. Do you think one of one of my thoughts, I guess, is that they should work through Brooks and Baycott as as they normally would when when Roy Williams has had two bigs, and Anthony should be kind of you know receiving opportunities off of their play instead of the other way around. Is, is is that something that you think could work, or is it just Anthony is the guy, he's going to have the ball? Can, can they be successful? Can they turn that corner if he can, if they continue to, to go through him and not utilize their bigs? I think in a normal year it would make sense to go through those bigs. Brooks has been – I don't think Brooks has gotten the credit he deserves this year. Me neither. Because he has been as much of a rock as there possibly could be for North Carolina, mm-hmm. he is very capped in terms of his abilities and what he can do, which I think is the reason why they're not running more through him. And I think what we've seen is kind of who he is and the best he can do. He's not somebody he can throw to in the post 
15 times a game like you can Vernon Carey and count on him making post moves and giving you 20, 30 points a night. He just doesn't have that skill set. He's great in a secondary role where he can do that sometimes, but do his work on the boards, do his work on the defensive end. Baycott is going to, I think, get to a point in his career where he can be there, um, but he's clearly from a conditioning standpoint and just a playing strong standpoint isn't quite there yet in terms of physicality. So in an ideal world, yes. But I think because those guys have the limitations right now, and because, and honestly, because Anthony is a very ball-dominant guard, mm-hmm. uh, kind of you want to lean more towards Anthony, and Anthony's a guy who will certainly take that because mm-hmm. of just his style of play. Um, so I think it's sort of a, a mismatch of abilities now. But I, I think they kind of have to, again, given the, the limitations currently of Big Cotton Brooks. So, uh, you know, I live in the Triangle area, you live in the Triangle area. It's always interesting um, around this time of year, given, you know, the schools that are in this area with NC State, uh, you know, North Carolina and Duke. NC State fans, I, I don't know how many you work with. Um, I interact with NC State fans every day. Uh, a lot of people that I work with are, are state graduates. Um, oh, yeah. Starting to get a little bit shaky on, on Kevin Keats. I think this NC State team is really good on paper. I don't understand you know, how they've now lost you know, four of their last seven. Uh, they were swept by Georgia Tech this season. Um, they lost at home to North Carolina before Anthony came back. And then yesterday they get their doors blown off by Louisville at home. <coughs> what, what is going on with NC State, and do you think that Kevin Keats is the answer in Raleigh? Yeah, I, I, was, I was at the State-Louisville game. Uh, this weekend, and it was interesting to to watch. And uh, watching them, something hit me about kind of why they've been struggling. They they don't play the way Kevin Keats wants them to. Mm-hmm. The, the first two years he was there, the first year they made the tournament, and then last year where they uh, were in the bubble conversation and one of the first teams out uh, played really fast. Uh, they ranked in the top forty in pace. Uh, wanted to run whatever they could. Played pressure defense. Um, and that was the style of play, and it made opponents uncomfortable. And they've recruited, and the personnel is set uh, to play that way. The skill sets that way, and it's not none of their guys are as effective playing uh, a half court style game. Mm-hmm. And this year, due to a lack of depth, which has been caused by uh, some recruiting misses, or some transfers, injuries at times, they haven't had the depth that they've needed to to play style consistently. Um, and they just haven't grown in the half court at all. Where they've been stagnant as being a below average uh, when it comes to an execution standpoint on the offensive end in the half court. So at that Louisville game, uh, Louisville built a, a really big lead. I think it was got up 16 or 17 points uh, early in the second half. And then simply out of necessity, NC State had to turn it on and, and play more aggressive, play more fast. And suddenly they ripped off, I think it was a 26 to 13 run mm-hmm. and cut the game four points in a matter of six or seven minutes. But because they don't have the depth, they had to go back once again that close to playing a, a slower case game, and, and then we ran away with it and ended up winning by 20. It's it's one of those things, I don't necessarily want to blame Keats mm-hmm. totally, because there are some things that are out of his control this year, and I know state fans are disappointed because this was supposed to be a year they took a step forward rather than taking a step back. But there are some extra circumstances outside of the program, be it those kind of recruiting misses and transfers that have limited them this year. 
I do think it's fair to blame Keith uh, or criticize him for saying they should have improved in the half court, knowing that's how you have to play this year. I don't think he's done a good coaching job in that area this year, but I also think that uh, they're limited. I think they'll be interesting to see kind of how the next year or two goes for him in Raleigh. Uh, but this year it's just been they're not able to play the way they want to and haven't improved playing the way they have to. Yeah, I think uh... – the, the injury to Bryce, the concussion, um, has kind of lingered a little bit. Um, Markel Johnson has not been good this year. Um, I thought that uh, this system, the way that Keats wants to play this up-tempo style, um, I, I thought Markel would be you know, one of the best point guards in the nation, not just the ACC this year. Um, he hasn't shot the ball well. We, we talked before the season about him being potential ACC Player of the Year candidate. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's probably not going to make one of the all-ACC teams. Yeah, yeah, he's been, he's, you know, Devin Daniels is kind of a, uh, Devin Daniels is a player that I really like, you know, the the quintessential glue guy, but um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with Devin Daniels uh, attempting more three-pointers than C.J. Bryce. Um, I'm not real big on, I think Jericho Helms is a, is a weapon, but, you know, he's already attempted... 80, 83s on the season, uh, shooting 31%. I think he's a good shooter. I'd like to see the stats on him when he makes the first one and how he plays the rest of the game as opposed to when he misses the first one and how he plays the rest of the game because he is the the epitome of streaky. And then, you know, <laughs> DJ Funderburk, there's a little bit of depth problems uh, in the front court, I think. Uh, Manny Bates has been a little bit dinged up and, and still just a freshman in his first – or redshirt freshman in his first season. So uh, I, I get it with the, uh, with the depth, but again – you look at this team on paper. This team should be a lot better than what they are right now, and I think it's uh, I think it's fair to question Keats a little bit. Absolutely, I mean, there's no doubt that again they should be better, and it's on Keats to have them improve in the areas where they need to be better this year because of the way they have to play. <clears throat> uh, at the same time, I think it's also worth noting that they, because of the depth, aren't able to play the way they want to and are more equipped to. Um, so. Uh, I, I think looking at that, they probably were going to always struggle more than we thought they were, mm-hmm. but they still shouldn't be struggling this much. Uh, moving on to an- another bubble team, I guess, and this is one we talk about each and every year. Syracuse currently 13-9, and um, lost to Duke last night at home, uh, lost two in a row after dropping one to Clemson um, last Tuesday. You know, it, I watched the Syracuse team play, and... You know, I really like Elijah Hughes. I think Joe Girard has made massive strides in his in his first season. Buddy Beheim has become a player that I never thought that he would become. Um, I just I didn't see this trajectory for him. Um, you know, one of the best shooters in the conference, bar none. And now they sit at thirteen and nine. They're six and five in the conference. Sometimes you see them play; they look really good. I thought they looked really good when they lost at home um, to Notre Dame about a month ago. And, and they kind of went on a little bit of a run. Uh, they won five of their next six, actually five in a row before the Clemson loss last week. Uh, you know, when, they play, when they're playing well, I think they're a tournament team. But when they play bad, they are just really bad. Um, what, what's, your, what's your opinion on Jim Beheim's team this year? I give Jim Beheim a ton of credit for what he's gotten out of this team. Yeah. Because just from, from a talent standpoint, I thought they were going to finish in the bottom five in the ACC. Me as well. Yep. So they've already they've already overachieved my expectations for them. Uh, defensively, they're still pretty bad, yep. and I think that's where you see the lack of athleticism, uh, lack of real strength inside inside really come into play. 
Uh, but offensively, he's found a way to utilize the shooters and, and use Elijah Hughes um, as much as he can uh, to make them very efficient and be able to win some of these games that I didn't, I didn't think they would win. They're on the outside looking in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't think that they have what it takes to get the wins that they're going to need to to kind of overcome their situation. I also don't – there's probably going to be one or two more head-scratching losses like the, the Clemson loss for them that's going to kind of kill any momentum they're going to get anyway. At least I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to finish in the top half of the conference, which – Given this roster, I think should be seen as a win for them this year. Uh, and the guys are going to have coming back next year. Uh, this is going to be sort of a good building year, I think, for for what they could do next year. Yeah, I think um, for me, it's it comes down to I think Mer- Merrick Dolajai has been unbelievable as well. I, I talk about Beheim, but Dolajai has really been the leader for this team. And then Barama Sidibe, you know, he was injured uh, throughout his career. Uh, we talked about, I talked about him with uh, with uh, uh, James Zuba, who's a, a beat writer for Syracuse, before the season, and everybody was kind of big on Sidibe. He was finally healthy. He's, he's shown glimpses in the past of being really good on the glass, but he has not been able to fill the shoes of, of Pasquale Chukwu, who, who graduated last season, and he just he's not that rim protector. He's not that defensive anchor. Um, he's had mental lapses. You see Beheim getting on him, you know, during every game, it seems like. And I just I think that in, in order for that Syracuse system to work on the defensive end, you've got to have that that really good defensive big man in the middle of that zone. And, and Sidibe just yeah. hasn't been that this year. Yeah, and, and they usually have really long athletic guards out front that make it work. Uh, and this year, Buddy Beheim has length, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the quickness. He doesn't have the quickness, and Joe Girard uh, kind of has neither. Joe Girard is a great offensive player, and I, I love what he's done, and I, I think he's going to be somebody by the end of his time there is going to be one of the better scorers uh, that Syracuse has had. Uh, but defensively, especially right now, he's very limited. And Buddy Beheim, his athleticism limits him as well. So having those two guys, when you have your best lineup on the court, uh, playing out in front, limits how good your defense can be. Yeah, I think uh, it was I, – I, for me, you saw the switch turn on with Joe Girard, who even, you know, whatever they are, 20 games into his into his career, he's already – you know, of course he's a local guy to Syracuse, and, and but in that game against Notre Dame, when him and Brentus Hub were going back and forth, that was – that seemed to me like when – Joe Girard actually just embraced it and said, "All right, you know, I'm I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to play with a chip on my shoulder, like I did in high school when I averaged 50 points a game. And over the last right. month, he's been fantastic for them. Yeah, and again, I I don't see anything but good things for him down the line uh, with Syracuse. I think by the time he's a senior, he'll be kind of one of the more decorated guys in the ACC. Um, but he's not ready to carry them offensively just yet." at the level they need him to be at, uh, and defensively there, he brings some limitations. One, one last team in the ACC I want to get to, and then we're going to uh, address some questions that we got yesterday on Twitter. Chris Likes, one of my favorite players in college basketball. Uh, just, I love the way he plays. He's been out a little bit um, with a groin issue. He's a game-time decision for their game today uh, against Pittsburgh. In his absence, Isaiah Wong has been getting a, a good bit of run, and... You know, 
Wong wasn't great most of the season, but over the past few games, he's been really, really good, I think. What's, uh, what, what are you seeing with Isaiah, and you know, is he going to be the next great point or the next really good point guard in Miami for Jim Laranega? He certainly has the potential to be, uh, and luckily Man is in a place where he can sort of get some of his growing pains out and have it not um, really matter one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the is Miami, before likes went out, um, their season was kind of kind of became clear they weren't going to compete for a bubble spot. Um, that they kind of were again building towards next year, uh, and so I, I think they were going to look to give Wong more minutes anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that been thrown into the fire, I think, has sped up his progression a little bit, which has been good to see. And he's certainly answered the, the bell with it. Um, again, we need to see it be more consistent coming here down the stretch. Uh, but I think Miami has to be very encouraged about what he potentially do for them the next couple of years. Yeah, um, you know, last three games, eight, eight of seventeen from behind the arc. He's nearly perfect from the line. Um, he, he's a player that that I liked coming into the season. And then, kind of when I saw it's it's always difficult to evaluate a player on YouTube because they make a hundred percent of the shots. But I, I like the <laughs> way he played. He was kind of slithery in in how he kind of worked into this, into the lane. And when he took the court early in the season, I remember thinking, oh, I was, I was way, way wrong about this kid. And, uh, you know, just watching him, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I, th- I think he's played really well. And I, I look forward to seeing how he grows, like you said. Um, we had, uh, I, I put it out on Twitter. Um, some people sent some questions in for us. Uh, first one we, I'm going to talk about is a Kentucky team that is probably not as good as as we anticipated coming into the season um i you know people want to know where we think um they're going to end up as far as a seed line uh, going into the tournament i do like tyrese maxey nick richards has become a player that is for me just tremendous to watch the way he hits the glass especially on the offensive glass um 16 and 5 6 and 2 in uh in uh, the sec uh, fell short against an Auburn team last night that got a little fire. Isaac Okoro was awesome, I thought, last night. Um, I think seed-wise, they're a, f- a four, maybe even a little bit lower. I'm just I'm not real big on this Kentucky team. What do you see in the Wildcats? I think they'll end up in that four to six range, mm-hmm. depending on how the rest of the season goes. I, I, do, I agree four sort of their cap, um, and we've seen it throughout the year. They don't have the shooting they need. Um, and the consistency from a guard standpoint offensively that they need to take a step forward and be kind of one of those upper echelon top two or three seed teams. Um, and they could lose a couple, maybe one or two more games like a South Carolina game that they shouldn't lose, and that could knock them down a seed line or two. Um, but that four to six range feels right for me. And they're not, I don't think they're going to be a team, I say this, of course, they have, the Evansville disaster on a resume <laughs> and uh, the Vanderbilt game that almost turned into the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust them enough to not fall victim to a first round upset against the 13, uh, a 12 or 11, if they fall in that range. Um, but I also don't see them making a huge run past the second round or, or sweet 16. I think they're kind of capped. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I just, they're, they're prone to, you know, Ashton Higgins is a is a really good player. Um, there, there's no denying that. But he is, like the overall of the team, he's very limited, especially on the offensive end. He's going to, you know, get guys in a good situation where they can succeed. Um, he's going to create uh, opportunities in transition by, you know, being one of the best on-the-ball defenders in the nation. But he's not... 
going to take over the game from an offensive standpoint. And, you know, Emmanuel quickly can shoot it a little bit, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm going to trust him to, to carry you in the tournament. Tyrese Maxey has become one of the better freshmen in the nation after kind of struggling a little bit early in conference play. Um, I just, I don't know how far I, I trust this team. You know, Juzang not giving them a whole lot. Nate Sestina has been iffy at times. Keon Brooks has given them basically nothing all season. So this is, this is not your... Your, your Kentucky team from the last few years, I think these guys are really limited. I, I agree it's in that four to six range, and I'm not sure they get out of the first weekend, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm there with you. I think it'll depend on sort of the matchups that they yes. get. Uh, but if they do, they're not making it past Sweet 16. Uh, another uh, follower wrote in, um, if we see Maryland as an Elite Eight team, um, and... For me, it's a no, and that reason behind that is Mark Turgeon. I mean, I just, I do not trust Mark Turgeon in a in a situation where it really matters. Um, I tweeted out a a uh, yeah yeah yeah. I tweeted out a uh, a stat the other day. In his career at Maryland, he is thirteen and thirty eight against top twenty five teams, and. It's just I just don't trust the guy to to have his team prepared. I love Anthony Cowan. Um, I, I love Stick Smith. I just I don't trust Mark Durgeon at all. Uh, last year was the first year that he had beaten a ranked team on the road. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Maryland. Uh, yeah, talent wise, I think they have enough to get to the Sweet Sixteen despite Durgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, once, once they get there. Once they get there, they're likely going to run into a team that is just as talented as they are. Um, and that's where you run into problems with a coach like Turgeon. Uh, so, second weekend, I think, uh, is a pretty good bet because they're probably going to end up with a decent seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I don't know about a leading. Yeah, uh, 17-4, 7-3 in a, in a tough Big Ten. Um, they're actually better on on the road than a lot of teams in the Big Ten where, where wins are tough to come by. And a, a win on Thursday over an Iowa team that I that I really like. I'm I'm big on Iowa. I love Wies Camp and Garza. Um, I just I, I can't trust Turgeon in a in a tournaments championship style situation. So, um, one of the you know last week Kobe Bryant passes away in an unfortunate helicopter accident. I, I kind of addressed it a little bit in the opening last week, very non gracefully on my part. I just I'm not good at stuff like that. This week the NBA comes out with a new kind of format for the all-star game and kind of calling it a tribute to Kobe. To me, it looks like an Elam ending situation with a little bit of a new wrinkle. Um, what are your thoughts on this all-star game? And can we just get back to all-stars playing basketball? I mean, isn't that the best practice? Yeah, I, I, I don't like it because you're making it not basketball, mm-hmm. right? You're throwing all these different things that try and make it more interesting and, just change it up a little bit because people think it's gotten stale or whatever. But at, at a certain point, it ends up not becoming basketball. Right? The, the way you, they, they want to fix the All-Star game, right? the way you fix the All-Star game is have them actually play basketball and not just change ends of the court during the dunk contest. Right. Right? They need to play basketball, and changing it to make it more not basketball doesn't help. Uh, I, I get. I like the idea of trying to pay tribute to Kobe Bryant. I think that's really good on their part. But I think there are other ways to go about it, other than you know making the game not basketball. 
<laughs> Agree. Uh, Brad, I think I uh, I think we've gone through uh, the outline here. Was was there anything else that you wanted to get to before we uh, before we get out of here? No, uh, I'm just looking forward to the rest of this month because we we've talked about a lot of the parity in college basketball this year, and there not being any real great team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people have talked about uh, undefeated San Diego State and Gonzaga and Baylor being up there as potentially great teams. Uh, I, I I disagree with that sentiment. I, I think they're benefiting from being a down year. And so they're really good teams, but in a normal year they might be in that you know, 5 to 10 range or 10 to 15 range as opposed to where they are now. Um, but anyway, because because of the parity, I think we're going to see a lot more days like there was on Saturday mm-hmm. where all the top Big East teams lost. I think it's just going to be utter chaos coming down the stretch here, which is going to be a lot of fun and interesting, and it's going to make for a really intense, bubble conversation comes election Sunday. Yeah, the bubble is going to be huge this year and it's going to be interesting because I mean you when we, I you do a top 25 each week, I do a top 25 each week as well. When I'm when I get to that 20 through 25 area, I mean there's there's 15 or 20 teams that I could you could make an argument and put them there. And you know, when you get to when you get to selection Sunday, that, you know, you know, in or out it's going to be a lot of comparing resumes, you know, immediately after the selection show. And I, you know, we might not end up with the best 68 teams in the, in the country in this, in this tournament this year, but I think it's going to be so chaotic when, when, you know, we finally tip off. And it's also right now, it's also kind of uh, kind of sad because we wait all this time from April till October to get this thing started. And now it's almost over already. I mean, there's only 10 games left before the postseason. So I know. I know. It goes like, and the one thing I say every year about bubble teams is that if you have to try and make a case for why you should compete for a national championship as the 68th best team, yeah. if you get left out, you have no reason to complain. That's right. Because 68 is a big enough margin for error to where you're going to get all of the teams that actually deserve a national championship shot mm-hmm. in the field. That's right. Now, I, I, I'm going to keep going now because you, you kinda, but um San Diego State, you mentioned San Diego State. I haven't watched a lot of San Diego State. I know that uh, they have uh, the Washington State transfer. I know that they always play great defense. Uh, I know they're undefeated. Having not seen a bunch of them and you know everybody being a little bit soft this year, what do you think their upside is? What is their ceiling? Their second weekend for sure. Uh, their defense is excellent. Malachi Flynn uh, is a legitimate All-American. A uh, guy who can who can carry a team offensively. Um, I'm not sure about their offense once they get the second weekend. I think a lot of it will depend again on matchups, just like it does every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, given the right situation and the right bracket, they could very well make the final four. Uh, I don't think that's out of the possibility at all. Um, and I think the the Sweet Sixteen is probably the floor. A lot of it will depend on who they play, mm-hmm. uh, but looking at a long run regardless, I think. Awesome, man, Brian. I uh, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, I'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your Sunday and enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, that was Brian Raff of Bustin' Brackets. Uh, you know, again, just one of the smartest guys out there when it comes to college basketball and and, and being able to speak intelligently about 
basically any topic that you throw at him. I mean, I, you know, I gave him an outline of topics that we were going to go over before the show. Um, yep, yeah, great, sounds good. And then, you know, we got off on some tangents during the show, and he, you know, he takes it in stride, and he just, you know, he doesn't need to do prep work. He's just, he's a wealth of knowledge, and it's great to have him on. I think this is the second or third time he's been on, and he just, he kicks ass every time. So, uh, him and Connor have a great show again, uh, Boston Brackets podcast. I've, I've been on it a couple times, um, and it's just, it's, it's a good show. They talk about everything all over the country they're not uh regionally centric uh you know or, or, or a specialist like me where it's you know the acc and then you know I, I dabble outside of that conference as well but those guys are just those guys are on top of it so uh, give them a listen and uh i'll uh, i'll talk to you guys next week hopefully with uh with a very uh, special guest and uh, we'll get an acc coach in here for the first time and i'm really looking forward to it later